they call me Crazy Jack. And I, I think crazy is good. We are crazy, but we're not stupid. You keep pushing because you believe in yourself and in your vision. Stay hungry, stay foolish. The Crazy TV Podcast. Good to see you, Vin. Uh, welcome in the Crazy TV Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you are a busy man. You are a business busy man. And uh, you woke up super early. And for me, it's <laughs> nighttime. What time is it at, uh, at your place? Uh, in South Australia right now, it's 6 a.m. Yeah, well, for me, it's uh, 10.30 p.m., so completely different. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're like at the opposite of the globe. Opposite so, side of the world. Um, before we go, before we start, I want to tell people our story a little bit. It's not a crazy yeah. story, but it's a cool story. I thought it's funny. It's cool. Um, so basically, uh, a friend of mine uh, sent me, because I, I, I was doing magic, uh, Vin here is a magician as well, uh, who became a keynote speaker and much more. We're going to talk about that. And a magician friend of mine sent me his website one day. Oh, you should check out this guy. And we start talking on, like, uh, send an email too. And then we start talking on a, on a, on a Zoom call or Skype, maybe it was uh, at the time. And uh, one thing led to another and you coached me. And uh, basically, you are the reason why I'm a keynote speaker today. Not the only reason, but a, a, a very strong reason because you really coached me through. So, guys, this podcast exists mainly because of uh, this guy here, Vin Young. So, uh, before you introduce yourself, I prepared a little video of you so we can see you on stage and what you do. Do you mind oh, cool. if I share it? Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah, All right, let, let's, let's uh, share this little video here. And that was a picture. <laughs> your you voice is literally your personality. I spend the majority of my time now, I live in California. I live in Southern California and I teach in a theater in Long Beach. I teach people how to use their voice. I teach people the craft of what magicians call showmanship. Because you see, as magicians, there was this mindset that we fall into. We believe that if I just become the best Technically, as a magician, sleight of hand, I can become the most successful magician out there in the world. If I build the most biggest bank of technical knowledge as a magician, I can become the best magician in the world. Not true. The magician who's best technically lives in Asia with his mum and dad. And he's 39. I love this joke, man. Uh, so I thought it was a good video to, um, to show what you do. So can you tell us in a few words uh, what you do, uh, who you are, just in a couple of words? Brilliant. Look, I started my journey in commerce and law. I left that and then I decided to become a magician. And I did uh, become a professional magician for a number of years. But then my interest took me elsewhere. I realized that magic was only a part of who I was. The bigger part of me was a teacher. And the area that I'm most passionate about teaching is public speaking and communication skills. So I kind of take my experience in the world of magic. And again, you heard showmanship. Again, just a fancy word for communication skills. So then now with the majority of my time, I teach communication skills and presentation skills. And my vision, if I can put it succinctly, is I love nothing more than to help the invisible become visible. I think so many people go through life being invisible because they haven't learned how to communicate effectively. And when you learn how to communicate, you can make yourself visible. I love that. I love the, the parallel you make and the metaphor you use. It's, it's solid. It's good. It's solid. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> and um, no, I really like what you do. You, you, uh, uh, I think, I think you're, you're growing, uh, 
in a very interesting way as well because of the 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 covid also cut your business yeah. i guess because of speaking Absolutely. we're all in the same business it did just yep. um and i follow you on social media and you completely uh, uh reinvented yourself so can you tell us about that a little bit you're in your studio right now you can you can tell us about that yeah look uh, yeah i'm in my podcast studio right now i mean look What happened was fascinating because at the beginning of this year, I remember mid-February, we started hearing about the COVID thing. And then I was like, nah, this is not going to affect my business. This is this is only affecting, you know, Asian restaurants that people are boycotting at the moment. <laughs> I thought, oh, it'll never affect me. And then by mid-March, my entire speaking business went from hero to zero. And it was it was one of the most frightening things I've ever experienced as an entrepreneur because, you know, your revenue went from great to just nothing. So then I went through a state of shock and panic and cried and everything to my wife. And then, and then I really came back to, you know, the stoic philosophy of there's only two things you can control, your thoughts and your actions. So then I wrote down a list of thoughts that were useful and not useful. And then a list of actions that were useful and not useful. And then I just focused on the things that were useful. So the things that were useful was I, I was lucky around the corner from where I lived, I had a kid that did streaming online. So I immediately called him and said, look, I'll pay you an hourly rate. Come teach me how to stream online. Mm -hmm. Teach me the cameras to get, the technology to get. Then I, I've, I also employed a videographer. I brought him over. What cameras should I get? So within about four weeks, I had learned how to stream and I'd learned how to build a production studio in my garage in Southern California. So Putsi, what I did was I built a full-blown studio and then I offered this to all of my clients saying that, look, I know you can't do live events but I can now stream to you live wherever your people are. So then my clients started to go, oh, this is interesting. And then I was able to save my business, but then I had to leave America and come back to Australia because I felt it was safer here for my family. And then I've just rebuilt another two studios back in South Australia. So now I'm getting up at, you know, today I got up at three in the morning to serve some of my clients who are in Seattle. So it's, it's, it's just unbelievable Because look, th th this is the thing, Bootsy, our world of events, people before refused to even look at virtual, but COVID now has forced them to look at virtual. So now for me in our industry, the speakers who do this well will really be able to reap the rewards for so many people now who are looking to virtual. And, and um, I, I like that you... Um... For the entrepreneurs out there, I think is a great uh, is a great example because you don't try to do it alone. You bring people, yeah. you go to people who know, you ask advice, and even though you're already advanced, because I know you you're in the video world, you know already a lot. But yeah. streaming is different, right? It's so different. you did it different than me in my living room with just a little camera. But just um, it's cool. But it still looks great. Do. It still looks great. I, th I think you you yeah. understand the principle of of production value. You know, you're well lit. You've got a backlight, which is an ascent light. You know, you're, you're, you've, got, you've got the foundations. It doesn't matter. You don't need a full studio. You just need to learn to make what you have look great. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But it's, uh, I'm just saying it's great that you now you're just bouncing on this uh, crisis and not letting it go. And uh, yeah. you actually, so you're doing this, um, you have this, um, uh, how do you call it? Your, your stage, um, how do you call your workshop? I forgot. I have yeah, so, yeah. Well, look, my, my workshop, I just call it a stage virtual masterclass. So that's where I, yes. I teach communication. Cool thing, I do, yeah, yeah I, do, I kind of do five days, two hours a day, and people join me via Zoom.
That's awesome. And uh, who who is it for? So look, my my workshop that I run right now is for for anyone that feels feels that they're, they're great technically, right? So you're, you're great at what you do technically, but you, you're unable to get what you do across to others. And you feel like, you know, you, you don't get the attention that you deserve or that you desire. And I, I teach people from the medical field. I teach people from the technical field, from the finance field. Those tend to be my three core areas of where people come to me. And again, if you just overall want to improve your presentation skills, your communication skills, I can help. That's awesome. So I really recommend uh, his workshop. And uh, from what I've seen, it, it looks really good. All the videos and all your videos are good quality as well. But uh, what you do on stage looks like it's amazing quality. So I want to go yeah, back a little cool. bit on uh, when you started. Now we went really fast forward on the COVID and everything. So yeah. when, did you, when did you actually start in Magic? I was wondering, when did you start it? Oh, when I started when I was about, was about 13. Yeah. 13. Oh, the best age to start magic, huh? <laughs> Why is that the best age? Your friends. Hey, look, I can do card tricks. Well, because maybe, yeah, because you go through puberty at the same time as you're learning magic. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> you know, I started super late. You know that? I started when I was 20. Oh, you started when you were 20. Wow. Yeah. I oh. discovered when I was 20. I didn't know anything about magic. I was like, what oh. is that? Well, and then I started. I, I think the same thing. I didn't take it seriously until I was about 18. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, you, know, you dabble in it when you're 13, but then you get serious about it when you're a bit older. And then you, uh, little by little, you got into mentalism more and more. Now you do yeah. mainly, we can say, mentalism. So how, how was this transition? And uh, maybe can, you can explain people the differences, yeah. what it means to you and how you felt about it. Yeah, well, for me, the, the magic that I fell in love with was close-up magic, which is a form of sleight of hand, right? It's sleight of hand with coins, cards, you know, objects, you know, thread work, which is invisible thread, make things float and fly around. So I was really in love with that. And I used to think about mentalism and go, man, that's the most boring form of magic I've ever seen in my life. Like it was because I read about mentalism and I watched mentalism and I just didn't enjoy it. And a lot of the reason why, and I'm, I'm happy to be quite frank as well, is because a lot of the performers that I watched, they weren't engaging. Again, they just didn't have good showmanship until, until a magician named Darren Brown came about and I watched him online. And the moment I saw Darren Brown do mentalism, it completely changed how I viewed mentalism. It, it was something that was so boring and kind of, you know, just pedestrian now became extremely exciting. And, and I think that that just speaks to how important communication is because the communication that was being used to show mentalism before wasn't done very well. And then the moment great showmanship came along, it completely changed the way I perceived that art form. So it was because of Darren Brown that, that made me go, wait, all this sleight of hand stuff is actually, that's boring. This is way better. <laughs> and so he was pivotal. He was pivotal in, in kind of, you know, bringing that, 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 that love into my life. So then I, I fell in love with mentalism. And mentalism, if I had to describe it, is just kind of a, it's a form of, you know, what people call psychological illusions or, or magic that's done with the mind, your mind and my mind. Uh, there is still sleight of hand involved, but very minimal. It's more presentation. I, li I like your mentalism because um, I think it, it, your personality is really visible through your mentalism. And that's great because uh, a lot of the time uh, when I see magician or mentalist or whatever you want to call them, they just perform mentalism as if it was ooh, spooky and mystical. And when you do yeah. it, there is this thing that 
you know that I know that you know that we're all here to have fun and it's okay. Yeah. But still, you're like, what the fuck, you know? This, yeah. this, uh, your. Um, so I like that about your your presentation, and you got you got awards for that, right? For your mentalism, uh, you had a show on the in Australia, right? Yeah, yeah, we we uh, it was myself and another magician named Matt Tarrant, who's a good friend of mine, and we ran a show called Deception together at a festival called the Adelaide Fringe, which was one of the biggest fringe festivals in Australia, and we did it for three years consecutively, and we we kept winning awards, and it, it was an amazing time. It. But, but also, you know, when I, when I won all those awards with Magic, that's also when I went, you know what, I, I've been able to have my own show. We won awards for it year after year. We had our own theater show and everything. It was time for me to do the next thing. And that's when I get on to speaking. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that's what makes life exciting. You know, you, I, I can't do one thing for the next 20 years. I, I like to have different chapters in my life. You know, you do this for a chapter of your life. Then you move to the next thing. That's what gives life flavor. It's variety. No, it's true, and and you still uh, you still evolving. You still uh, yeah. have a picture of you here uh, in your studio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went through social media. I thought it was, this was a good picture uh, to show quickly. It's not on the right side, but uh, when you're building it, uh, that's cool. That's cool. We're still evolving. That's amazing. And yeah. um, I. I what I admire also about you, not only your 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 craft in magic and mentalism, also your your business side, and I think you're great at at selling and in marketing. And you, you, and how did you learn all that? How did you? What was your process to learn? Of course, books and and yeah. so on. But what I know you had mentors. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? Look, anytime I want to learn something, I I love the apprenticeship model. I, I love when there's a master and a student. I, I, I don't love academia. I just don't. I'm not very good at it either. So anytime I want to learn something, I find a teacher who will teach me. But I don't, I don't like to engage in the traditional teacher. I mean, I mean, I mean the modern day teacher where, you know, you see on social media everywhere now, you know, someone's going to, you know, be your, your life coach or something like that. I, that. That's not what I'm interested in. I like to find someone who's a master of what they do, who's currently doing it exceptionally well, and then I become their friend. Mm. And in becoming their friend, I get to see them in action. I don't want them just to teach me. I, I, I learn better when I see you in action. So there's one of my early mentors, Matthew Mihilovich, who's become one of my best friends in my life. He's one of the greatest salespeople you ever meet. He runs his own AI tech company. And he brought me into meetings with him while I watched him sell clients. I watched him, mm. I watched clients just in awe of him and, and he didn't even have to sell himself, but they were like, please work with us. And I was like, wow, most <laughs> salespeople who go in, they're the ones saying, hey, please give me your business. Whereas these people are saying, hey, please take my business. And in being able to watch him do that, I learned so much in such a quick time frame. So, so to me, you know, in, and thank you for, for the lovely compliments, but but that's where I learned a lot of my sales skills is I learned it through watching a great salesperson do it. And it was just it was just unreal watching him do it. Yeah, it's an amazing, it's a great approach. I think it's, it's the best approach, but I'm thinking of uh, people watching us who wouldn't dare to approach such a person, who wouldn't know yeah. how to approach such a person. So how did you approach such a, such a person and how can they make the first step? How would you advise them? Look, the, 
you, when you think about approaching people who are very successful, you have to think about what you can do for them first before you think about what they can do for you. I think a lot of the times we have that mindset of, and then the reason you feel scared to approach them is because, well, you haven't done anything for them. You, you haven't kind of earned their time. You know, I think one of the most dangerous things that I used to do that I look back upon now and I, I feel kind of bad is I used to always email people and go, oh, hey, can you give me an hour of your time? Oh, hey, can you give me 30 minutes of your time? And I feel kind of bad doing that because I don't even have a relationship with them. And one of the reasons why I felt bad was because, again, I haven't done anything for them. So now what I do is anytime I want to reach out to someone and I've, I've been able to meet some amazing people in my time in the US. And what I do is I research them online. I check their Instagram, I check their Facebook, I check their Twitter, and I see what are they trying to achieve right now in their life. And I try to do something that will help them along the way. So again, you know, one of the examples I use is that, you know, when I wanted to meet a certain mentor of mine, I knew that he wrote a new book. So I bought some of his books and I gave them away. You know, I gave them away every time I spoke. Every time I spoke at a conference, I'd give away 100 copies, 50 copies. And Soon when he found out about that, he was really impressed by it and wanted to spend time with me. So I think, I think just think about what you can do for that person first. Give first, then ask. I think a lot of the times we ask first, then give. So I think being generous first is, is, is really important. It's true. And, and, and what you're describing, of course, your example might be frightening to some people, but what is behind your example and through your example is it's not hard. You just go on social yeah. media and just ask yourself yeah. a few questions. But it's mostly is those questions we don't ask ourselves because, and sometimes there is no no reason. We just we just don't. And then we're like, oh, that's, that's a good idea. I'm gonna do it. So if you guys are watching this and and you feel like you're alone and you would love to learn from someone, this mm. is just a simple question. This is such a great example. Go on his Instagram, like like Vin said on the LinkedIn, what he's trying to achieve. Yeah. And it's um there's so many examples like that. It's the question you ask yourself, right? Not necessarily the answers that are super hard to find. Well well, well the thing is people always we 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 our, our lives are now fairly transparent. Well, not transparent, but our lives are kind of shared on social media. So you can get a sense for what that person's goal is. Maybe your mentor is trying to build a new business. Maybe your mentor is trying to, you know, get build a more balanced life. And, and then you can buy a really nice gift card or something and then go, hey, I know, hey, I read one of your posts that you wrote and I knew that you were struggling with balance. Here's a great selection of three books that can really help you go through what you're going through right now. And, and when, when you do things like that, you really touch people's hearts. Mm. Otherwise, you're sending an email and all the email saying is, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time and can I pick your brains? Like, it, it's not an eloquent way to do something that I've learned. You know, I, I used to do it and then I, no one used to reply to me and I, I used to get angry, but it's because you haven't given first. And, and if you do the due diligence and you do the little bit of research and you show people you care, it, it really touches people emotionally. So true. Well said, well said. And um, so on the entrepreneurial side, uh, you were leaving from keynote speaking. I want to go, I want to do the pre-COVID thing. Um, yeah. So you were, so on, on your, your masterclass as well, but not only, uh, so you were doing, uh, uh, um, it's 10.30, I'm already dead. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, 
uh, you were giving speeches. Well, I'm going to do it. So uh, you were living a keynote speaker and doing your, your masterclass. And I want to, yeah. because I know you were super busy. So I want to talk a little bit about the work-life balance. I know yeah. a lot of people out there that may be not keynote speakers, but they have this, they, they, we all have this thing in our lives. So how do you manage your work-life balance when you're doing a hundred talks in a mm. year or more? I know you did more. So how did you evolve through that? How did you, how was it when you did a lot and what can you tell us about that? I did it terribly. <laughs> I didn't do it well at all. I don't, don't look to me for advice in this area, but, but I can share with you how I did it badly so that hopefully you can learn something from it. Right. All right. All right. So, so, so again, you know, like in, in, in our world, in the keynote speaking world, we, we are rewarded financially so well for what we do. And, as a result of that, as an entrepreneur, you can get addicted to that because you can go, oh, wow, we can make so much money. We can, we can impact so many lives. We can have so much impact. Wow, this is amazing. So, so, so you get really obsessed over it and you, you, you do more and you do more and you do more and you do more and you do more. Like you said, you, you do 80 gigs, 90 gigs, 100 gigs a year and you don't have life balance and, and, and you, you don't realize one lesson. I mean, this is the biggest lesson that I learned is that the more successful I became, the more sacrifices I had to make because being on the road, I mean, doing 80 gigs a year means that you're on the road 160 days a year. You're doing 160 plus flights a year. And I never knew that. Not, yeah, yeah. We never oh, do the not. math. It's times two. Easy math, but. But the crazy thing is that the, the more successful I became, the more sacrifices I had to make. And the biggest sacrifice that I made, Putsi, was, was being away from my wife and my son. Yeah. And my, my wife said something really, you know, something that really kind of, you know, pierced my heart. And, and what she said was, you know, you, you, honey, you work so hard to build us this beautiful garden that you've built. Beautiful garden with beautiful flowers and beautiful scenery. But you're never in this garden. You know, you, you always work to put more beautiful thin, things in, but, but the most beautiful thing in this garden is when we're all together and you're not here, you know, and that, that really kind of, that really hit home for me. That, that really, that really hurt me when she said that uh, in, in, in a way that helped me realize what I've, I've, yeah. I've become and what I've done. And, and, and if I can put it kind of succinctly, I was living to work. I wasn't yeah. working to live. Yeah, yeah, that's the trap. That's the trap. That's the trap. And I fell into it. I fell into it. And, you know, I didn't come back to Australia because of COVID-19. I came back to Australia. I made that decision mid last year that I'm taking a step back. You know, like I changed chapters from magician to speaker, I'm now looking at changing chapters as well. I, I don't want to just do speaking for the rest of my life. I, I want my life to be like a platter of many different experiences. I'm looking to the next experience now for me as well. I do a little bit of speaking, but instead of doing 100, I'll do 10 a year. That's it. And then I want to explore what I'm doing next. Let's see, I love that in the next room, and you saw the studio, in the next room is my video production studio. I love that I can work with a client of mine and then two hours later have breakfast with my wife and my son. Whereas Especially before, in the, in, yeah. yeah. Especially in countries like Australia or the US, where every you always have to take a plane, basically. Yeah. I mean, how many yep. times do you did you have a gig that is like half an hour away from your place? Never. 
I never had a gig that was half an hour from my place. Every gig was two days away from the family. Wow. Every gig was two days away. So, so now I do a gig, I finish it, I walk in the house and I kiss my wife and I kiss my boy. Yeah. So I, I, for too long, Butsi, have been sacrificing my life for my career. Uh, and, and, and for too long, Butsi, I've been making my life work around my business. I've now taken the business almost by the head and go, you now work around my life. Hmm. I will make my business work around my life. And, and that's the mindset I have now. Whereas before the business had me by the neck and the business was saying, you know, you work for me. But I've, yeah. I've learned how to make my business work for me now instead. It's, I'm just, I'm just going to clarify something for people out there because when you say I want my life to be a plateau of many different things, some, uh, some people out there might think that you just... It means that you're doing a little bit of that, a little bit of that. You went full yeah. in with the speaking thing. We no, have no. To, we have to see yeah. that. You went full in. And now that you went full in, now you feel like, okay, I'm can, I can move on to something else and do a little bit of speaking, right? Yeah, look, look, yeah, look th thank, you for, thank you for bringing that up. Look, it's not, it's not a sample platter. It's more of a each platter is uh, yeah. very well kind of dived into. But that's just the nature of, I think you're the same, Putsi, in that, When I see you do something, you go all in as well. I think that's the nature of maybe most magicians because as a magician, you, you can't learn something halfway. Otherwise, it will look shit. You, you have to learn it yeah. all the way. So that kind of gets embedded into our minds. So, so to me, regardless of what you do, do it, do it exceptionally well. Learn how to do it really, 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 really good. And then once you're done, Give yourself the permission to try something else if you want to. But then when you do the next thing, don't forget, do that exceptionally well as well. You know, don't, don't do things halfway. There's nothing worse than a, than a halfway piece of magic. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. By the way, talking about business and magic and doing things differently, I remember you did some entrepreneurial uh, uh, adventure at the beginning of, uh, with your um, encyclopedia website. How was it yeah. called again? Encyclopedia of Magic. Yeah, good. And and so, what did what did that happen? What did, what happened with that? You sold it. You you uh, can you tell us a little bit about that uh, adventure? Yeah, yeah. So look, I I started that business out of university. So in university, I was kind of sick of university, and again, I knew that a huge part of who I was was a teacher. So then I wanted to teach. So then I built a business called Encyclopedia of Magic, which was an online business. I started it with two of my friends. And we built the business up to about 40,000 users. And then as a result of that, we, we kind of won an entrepreneurial award in Australia called Entrepreneur of the Year in 2014. And, you know, again, like we, we built that business. It was great. And then I, same thing happens for me is that once I've done something and I've done it to a point where I'm satisfied, I like to then, again, like that platter example, right? I like to try something new. So then after that for me was I wanted to become a professional magician and have my own theater show. So then that's when I wanted to do the next thing. So, I mean, that was that business. And, and it was because I was passionate as a teacher, but I wasn't passionate about teaching magic, right? So, mm. so for me, I had to gain clarity in that. Oh, I only got that clarity now. What I actually liked was teaching communication. Can you hear me? Sorry, yeah, I was I was losing you a little bit. You were oh, saying, okay. uh, yeah, you weren't passionate about teaching magic. 
Yeah, I, I, I taught magic for like three, four years. And then I realized, oh, I wasn't passionate about teaching it. What I am passionate about mm. is teaching communication skills. So, so it, it took me a while to learn what I'm passionate about, what I want to teach, et cetera. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. We, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's a magician thing, but uh, it's the same with me. When uh, I do something, when I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I went far enough. Now, okay, I see. Now I want to do something different a little bit. <laughs> but mm. uh, capitalize, not leaving everything behind, like you said before, is you just, you keep a base, you keep, and you, from there, you can evolve to something else. It's like climbing, right? You just, you don't, you just one after the other. And, yeah. but it's, uh, it's like that, that you move forward, right? If yeah. you want to go at the end of the metaphor. And, yeah. and um, what's interesting is that you, so you, you lived in the US for the people, we, we said it very fast. So you're from Australia, you were uh, living as a keynote speaker, and then you, you decided to move to the US. So how was that experience? I want to know how, how it was. We talked about the ending, but all the whole thing, how was it? It was, it was actually really fun. I mean, look, aside from me working too hard and then feeling sad and depressed and whatnot, but I, <laughs> I, I loved it because Australia is a much smaller market. Australia as a whole country is 20 million people, right? That's our, that's our entire country. Whereas America is 350, 380 million people. So Australia is one twentieth of the size of the U.S. So for me, going from one of the smallest cities in Australia to to one of the biggest states in America, it was such an unbelievably great growth experience because it pushed me to to become a much bigger version of myself. I, I was very comfortable in Australia. When I was in Australia, I was really comfortable. Things were you know, relatively easy. When I went to America, it forced me to, to work harder than I've ever worked in my life. So mm. I, I grew more than I've ever grown in my life in the last four years. Because your competition is times 20. Your, your market size is times 20. You know, everything is times 20. So, so, so again, it was, it was a huge learning curve. I, I learned how to build relationships with people. I learned how to do business more than I've ever done in Australia. So, so now actually, you know, doing that time in America and then coming back, I feel so much more equipped. I, I feel way more capable at, at doing business here. It's like I, I did great training over there and coming back, yeah. doing business here has become a little bit easier almost. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Hmm. Yeah. And business aside, what did, you, what did you love in the US and what did you hate in the US? Oh, okay. Uh, what I, I loved Amazon. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. Amazon. I, I buy something at nine o'clock in the morning. It arrives by 4 p.m. that day. It was unbelievable. I, I, whereas in Australia, we order something online and two weeks later it comes, right? So, really? so their, on, their online shopping is unbelievable. Hmm. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, really Australia. Australia, you know, takes about four or five days, you know, at the yeah, earliest. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I thought, I thought it would be faster. I thought it would look like... No, oh. no, it's not. It's, it's Amazon. Not. That's one thing. What else? Okay. I, I love... Okay. So, so in Australia, we, we have never been exposed to, or rarely have we been exposed to the Mexican culture and the African-American culture. Mm. So when I went to America, I was like, wow, these are two cultures I've never experienced before. You know, That's whether cool. it's meeting the people and, you know, in, enjoying the cultural kind of experiences of the food, et cetera, and the festivities. So that was fantastic. You know, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and 
it was amazing. So, so it was a whole new culture to experience. So that's the second thing I love. One more thing I love. I, yeah. I love, I love how much the American people love their country. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. <laughs> I, I know I, it's, isn't really that the do. same in Australia? I was, I'm, I'm wondering. Well, we, yeah. Well, look, we do. Australians love our country, but we don't say it much. You know, we, we yeah, never, they say it a lot. <laughs> yeah, they say it a lot, you know, and, and, you know, some people look at that and go, oh, that's kind of gross. But, but I, I liked it. I was kind of saying, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to be proud of your own country. Yeah. It's okay to actually go, you know what? I love my country. And, and it just made me feel more like I should express how much I love my country, Australia. Mm. Like Australia is a beautiful country, but I never say that, you know? And so, so I, I love those three things about America. Things I hate. Okay. Look, I, I don't like the, how hard people push you to work over there. Oh, it's yeah. always more, 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 more. You know, it's always hustle, 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 hustle. And, and that culture in America is very strong. Very I, strong. I, I saw it through social media and videos I see and Gary Vaynerchuk and everything, but I never experienced yeah. it. And you experienced it firsthand. And would you say it's at all the ladders of the, 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 the social ladder at, at in different companies, different industries? It's, it, you feel it's very strong? It's really strong. It's, you know, it, it, I feel it within my social network there. I mean, it was, you know, okay, so, all right, you've already got the BMW. Okay, you probably should try for a Mercedes. You've got the Mercedes, probably should try for a Porsche or a Ferrari. And then once you get the Ferrari or the Lamborghini, you know, have you thought about getting a private jet and a yacht? So it's like that, that consistent push for materialism. It's very strong. And I'm not saying everybody there is like that. Yeah, I, I met sure. many great people who weren't like that. But overall, there's a very strong push towards materialism. And I had to fight that, that so hard. A little bit different from hustling. Yeah, look, I mean, but but it's the, the hustling. without materialism, hard. right? You're saying yeah. it's two kind of two different things that goes hand in hand, right? It, it does go hand in hand because you hustle for the money and then you take the money and then you buy the oh, material things, right? Are so Are you not here? No, I'm here. Oh, did it come off? Can you see me? I, I can still too. hear you. <laughs> You're back. I thought it was my phone because I'm on my my phone. Anyways, uh, oh. so did you? Did you? I, I repeat, okay. Um, so uh, I was saying that you were talking about hustling, and then you talked about materialism, and I feel like it's two different things. But you talk as if it was going hand in hand over there. It, it is hand in hand, and I think it's hand in hand because you hustle to make the money. And then you use the money to buy those things. You know what I mean? Mm. That, that, that's kind of how those two things connect. So, you know, those two things, you know, I fell victim to that. And it also made me very unhappy. Uh, I think if I had to pick a third thing, I guess I can consider those two things. Yeah. The third thing I would say is, you know, I think, I think where I lived I'm trying to think about what's something that not everybody says. I'm trying to think of something a bit more. It doesn't have something you hate, but something you don't really like, you know? Yeah, Maybe something I don't like. Uh, look, I, I, or you're I've not got, into uh, it. We, 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 we suffer this in Australia and most countries too, but it's, it's hard for me to make this kind of critique because it's not my country, but it's like the, the, the gap between the rich and the poor is huge. You know, the, the, the number I of know, homeless I was people, hoping you were talking about that. Yeah, the, the, the number of homeless people I saw just made me feel really sad. You know, in, yeah. in Australia, when, when, when I walk around the city, we see maybe one or two homeless people. 
you know. And whereas in America, I saw US, hundreds and hundreds and thousands yeah. of homeless people, and I just feel so sad. Like, you know, I, I I don't hate that. It's just it made me feel sad that there were so many people that yeah. just lost their way, and and sometimes it it seems as if the government is not looking after them. You know, so that that was really yeah. sad to see. Well, you know, it's uh, what I th what I think. It's uh, interesting is that, uh, of course, the U.S. I mean, <laughs> if you want to think of a country that is kind of the opposite of the U.S., it, it might be France. You know, it's there is so many uh, things that are different from the ideology, the the the, the way we approach business. The, there's so many different things, the food and everything. And for uh, a French guy, and I'm just talking about my experience, but I guess it's for a lot of people. Um, uh, who had the same experience as you, seeing one, two homeless in their cities. When they go to the US, it's I think it's something that jumps at you, right? You see it directly, uh, whether mm. you're affected by it or not. It's it's another problem. But you and now only now I see in podcasts uh, like uh, Joe Rogan and whatever mm. uh, many podcasts they talk about this as if it was new. I never noticed before. There's so many homeless. There's a, 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 a homeless crisis, and they yeah. show pictures. I'm like, guys, this is so obvious. Like, how do you notice now? So I'm wondering if they just close their eyes, or they, you know, they put some uh, the, the the blinders, or I, I don't know. Yeah, it's look, I, you know, I. Because I've lived in America and I've gotten to know a lot of American people, it's I, I empathize a lot. I, I have a lot of empathy as well. And in that, you know, Australia and maybe even France as well, we're we're smaller countries, right? And in Australia, we've got 20 million people. You know, when when you and Joe Rogan says this, you know, out of every every out of every one out of every out of every one hundred thousand of our population. There might be, let's just say, one percent of them is, you know, terrible people, right? Mm -hmm. So, so if if you've got a huge, let, let's say, okay, let, let me use this example. Out of every, out of a million people, one percent of them are not good people. So, what, if you have three hundred and fifty million people, the percentage of terrible people it's enhanced, right? So, a lot mm -hmm. of the times when people look at America. It's very easy to go, oh, America has so many people who are this and that. It's just because they've got a larger number, which means the percentage of you know people who are not very good, that there's more. But the majority of Americans that I meet, they're not turning a blind eye. It's just mm -hmm. that the problem is so big. It's like trying to turn a Titanic oh. around. It's of course, so I'm not saying difficult. it's easy and they just have yeah. to. It's so complicated, We're, yeah. It's so complicated. Whereas like in Australia, we've got a smaller country. It's easier for us to make those changes. It's easier for us to help the number of homeless people because there's less. It's just that every problem they have is just it's just gigantic. And I think people don't want to turn to blind eye, but it's so hard for them to do anything because the problems are just so big. And, they, they, and I, I got to say, you know, it's just... I'm not sure the government is doing the best job over there. <laughs> but at the same time, so many people don't want the government to be involved over there. So many people want them to stay outside of the business. It's kind of an ideology, the free market is such a, a yeah. fanatic capitalism and so on. But we're not going to go into that. But yeah, well, it's, look, I mean, it's, it, 
Here's the thing, right? You've got an Australian and a, and a French guy trying to talk about what's happening in America. I think I think I think we we don't know enough about That's what's why. happening over there. That's going to, but actually, you know what? I I didn't know you were so few. There was there was not a lot of people like that in Australia. When you said 20, 20 million, I just checked out. I was like, did I yep. hear properly? Did I? You 23 million? <laughs> what? You know, million, have you yeah. seen the size of France is like that with 65 million. It's crazy. Yeah. See, you're triple wow. the size of our country. It's crazy. We're tiny. That, We're small. That's nuts. That's nuts. But, but did, but did you know that the land size of Australia is the same land size as America? Really? Our land. We have, I mean, as, we have as much land. It's just that most of our land is desert and we can't use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That I knew, but uh, wow. So yeah. I want to talk about something more optimistic now. <laughs> let's sure. uh, let's. Uh, of course, those problems are important, but I want to. Um, I think there's a there's a topic that I love to talk about, uh, which is education and future education, especially with someone like you who is a teacher in his soul. And um, so I'm building this uh, company. We're not going to talk too much about it. We'll talk in private. It's no. It's it's about you today, but it's about education, especially uh, in primary school, and. Mm. I wanted to see what what's your opinion on that because you have a child, right? How, how old is uh, your your Xander? Xander is uh, he's three years old. Three years old. All right, I'll show a picture of you. Uh, there he <laughs> <Here>. is. Yeah, <laughs> there he is. Little, little, little guy, so yep. cute. <laughs> so you you look like and and it's not only social media talking here. I know I know you a little bit. And it looks like you're super involved with him. And yeah. how how would you um, do you think about his future in terms? Of, of course, you do. But what do you think about his future in terms of education? What are you worried about with school? What they learn at school, stuff like that. Look, I, what I worry about, Butsi, is that like I the education system failed me, right? Because I I was not the academic child. I, I always got C's and D's, right? I Sometimes I'd get a B if I was lucky, but I just, I wasn't the best academic uh, academic kid. But school only, it only rates you on your academia ability, yeah, right? Yeah. So your academic ability. So every time school measured me, I was a loser. I wasn't, I was a failure. So it failed me. And then like, you know, I worry for my son too. What if my son is similar to me? What if he's a bit of an entrepreneur? Do school systems have the robust ability or the agile ability or the flexibility to be able to cater to entrepreneurial minded kids, you know, or, or kids who are different? You know, they might be artistic. They may have like an artistic kind of point of view, or they may be an artist or a creative like, do schools have the flexibility to be able to cater to those children? So mm -hmm. I worry about that. You know, I also worry about, like, again, when I, what I think what makes me the person I am is the hardships that I went through when I was young. You know, I, Butsy, I was really poor. My family grew up with nothing. But my son now grows up with a lot. And I worry that if he has everything, will he still have the fire within him? To, to still push himself to become more. So as a parent, you worry about a lot of different things. That's more on you. That's more on you, man. <laughs> yeah, that is more on me. Yeah, yeah. But and I've got to stop supporting It's him. funny. I've, <laughs> I've listened to many uh, successful people, uh, especially in this show. I love this show. Um, comedians in Cars. Uh, oh, coffee. I love that you know show. show. Yeah, I love so that show. And, so good. And, and Kevin Hart was saying the same thing. Um, and... 
I think it's it, it's interesting. I never thought of it like that um, because I think my wife and I were like, but when we <laughs> when we see uh, when we'll have a kid in front of us and we'll be melting, it'll, I know it'll be different. I know it'll yeah. be different. But he said something on the show that makes me makes me laugh. He said, um, he's. I said to my kids, uh, no, I'm rich. You're not rich, you know. He said that to his kids, yeah. and I know, I know. Of course, it's he said it to for fun, but it must be hard as a dad. It must be hard as a parent to say no when you can say yes most of the time. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yep. How do you look, feel like already at three years old? How do you feel with that? Well, no, but I can tell you, Butsy, my, my parents did something interesting. We didn't get any of my parents' wealth. My, my parents sat us down probably three years ago and they said, look, you know, to me and my brother, I've got a brother. And they said, look, we have made the decision. You know, we're, we're giving the money away. We're not giving it to you. We're giving it away to the community and to charity uh, because we've decided you don't need it. You can make your own wealth. We will not take the joy away from you. There's joy in creating wealth. There's development in building wealth. And we're not going to rob you of that. And, you know, my parents have built a sizable asset. My dad was a great entrepreneur. You know, him and his brothers owned pharmacies, Asian groceries, restaurants, investment properties, commercial properties. And, you know, at the beginning, I was really sad because of that. I was like, what? Why? What? Like, you should give me some at least, you know. And, and to get zero, like nothing, was at the beginning a little bit upsetting. But, but now when I think about it, I'm like, that's the greatest thing they did for us. Because if they gave me that, I probably wouldn't have worked that hard. I probably would have, you know, sat back, go buy a nice car, go buy a big new house. Like I probably wouldn't have worked for my money and wouldn't have learned the value of money. Because hmm. my accountant taught me a great lesson. My accountant does a lot of accounting for a lot of really, really wealthy people. And, and he said to me, he goes, one of the biggest lessons he learned from his wealthy clients is that if you climb to the top of the mountain, you give your children no more room to climb. Hmm. You know, and, and he said that don't rob your children of the joys of climbing the mountain. And, and I saw my parents do that with us. So to me as well, I, I have this kind of voice in my head saying, why would you raise great children then give them a lot of money? If you raise great children, they can make it themselves. You know, and, and they'll have a sense of confidence in themselves. Like if I didn't make my wealth myself, I wouldn't feel as confident in who I am as I do right now. I wouldn't like just, you know, destroy my career again. If there's another pandemic, I know I have the ability to rebuild from scratch. I will be okay. And there's a sense of confidence that I can walk through life with now. And because, yeah, because I, I know I'm capable. So, so to me, I'm seriously thinking the same thing with my wife is that, you know, we may build wealth in our lives, but we may not give it to our children. You know, we, we, we may find other causes to, to, to give our wealth to. And we will spend time helping our children become great people so they yeah, themselves okay. can build their own wealth. Hmm. It's the first time I hear that. It's interesting. Yeah, my parents it's, did it with uh, me. It's shocking. It's kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. it took me a few years to understand, but, but now, Butsi, I, I really appreciate it. I think it's no. It's I, lo I love the um, I love the the mindset behind. I love the the logic of it. It's great. Yeah. I'm I'm just thinking as you were talking. I was thinking as a parent would yeah. 
I, I mean, it's not my thing like that, but I think about it. But even though it was my thing, would I be able to look in the eyes of my kids and say, look, you're going to get zero from me. I, I think it's it's also hard, even though you completely agree logically, it must be a hard thing to do. That's what I was thinking about. Well, I, I asked my dad, I actually asked him, I said, was it hard, hard for you to do that with us? And he said, no. And he goes, <laughs> and he goes I tell you no, because I looked at two capable young men. Mm. I wasn't looking at two kids who were incapable and, you know, just not great people. He goes, it's because I looked at two great people who didn't need help because mm. I didn't feel bad at all. And I was like, wow, okay, that's crazy. But it, but it's just, I, I have to say that that's a testament to my mom and dad. I love my mom and dad so much. I talk about them so much. And it's because they were incredible parents because a lot of the times they said, I can give you money, but if I give you money, it's because I've failed at raising you. Hmm. If I give you money, it just means I failed at building a great mind. And I'm giving money to compensate for my failure. And my dad and my mom can say confidently that they did not fail at parenthood. You know, they, look, they may have yeah. had moments where they failed, but overall, they have done all an amazing the parents job. Parents in the world, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, we fail all the time, but but my parents overall, I was very blessed. You know, that they, they just never gave up on me at times when I think a lot of people would have given up on me. Is it one thing that you would do differently than? your parents did with you, with your kids? There is, there is. Can, can, uh, you, can you name one thing that is not too personal? That yeah, you no, this is personal and I'm, ha I'm happy to name it too, is that my parents lacked affection. Mm. So they, while they, they taught me to have a strong mind and they built great skills in me, they didn't show me much affection up until I was about 29, 30. You know, in the, in the Asian culture, affection is something that is, uh, I know. it's not common. You know, like you should see the way Like when we were young, you know, there were barely any hugs. It was kind of a yeah. tap on the shoulder, you know, <laughs> there was no kisses, you know. So, so, so for me with my son, you know, I hug him, I kiss him, I show mm. him affection, I love, I tell him I love him every day, you know, whereas the words I love you when I was young, you know, they, they were very rarely spoken, if at all. Mm. So that, you know, that's one big thing I'd change. All right. So I know I know you're busy and you need to go soon. So what yeah. would you what would you um, uh, tell entrepreneurs out there who are watching this podcast? Give them yeah. a one, two, three quick advice. They would uh, so they have this little toolkit to start or this little toolkit to get motivated. What would you say? Look, and, and just in case my camera turns off, it's, it's, I think it's slowly overheating just because right. uh, I've got the heater on. But look, what I what I'll say is this. Right now, in the marketplace with COVID-19 and the pandemic, you, you, you have to remember one thing, and it's the thing from the Stoics. There's, there's only two things you can control. And the two things you can control, as I reiterate again in this podcast, is it's your thoughts and your actions. Write down the things you can control. Focus just on the things you can control. Mm. Don't pay attention to the things you can't control. You're wasting your time. And a great, a great quote by John Wooden, a coach in a, a basketball coach in America, says this: "If you focus on the things you can't control, you will soon lose control of the things you can control. So just focus on the things you can control, and my friends, you will find a way through this. Don't give up. Don't give in." Pignon, thank you so much for your time. That was amazing. Uh, I leave you now to your business. 
Uh, guys, you, go on his website, follow him on social media. I will put all the links 